as you take your seat, I would ask if you don't mind, grab your scripture this morning and go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 37. We are going to, uh, this morning, attempt to make our way through the entire story of Joseph. Joseph, I'll just let you know, we're going through chapters 37 all the way through chapter 50. So, I hope you ate plenty of pancakes. I apologize in advance. You may have to wait till dinner for anything else. I'm just kidding. I won't go that long. But um, some of you may be asking, hey, why are we going from Easter last week and now we're going all the way back to the first book of the Bible? We're going all the way back to Genesis. And here's what I want us to think about this morning. Here's the thing that I want you to consider as we, as we wrestle through this entire story of Joseph. I don't think that, that God's plan that, of what Jesus was going to do on the cross started just a day or two before when, when Judas decided to betray Jesus. I don't think God's plan for what Jesus would come and do started just a few weeks before when the Pharisees really started to ramp up their plans on how they would take down Jesus. I don't think God's plan for Jesus started even three years before when he started his ministry. I don't think God's plan started for Jesus just when he was born. I think God has been working together this plan for redemption for all people since literally the the beginning of time. And so as we wrestle through this story, I hope that you would see that with me. So we're going to start right here in Genesis chapter 37. We're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read through some verses. That's Exodus. That's not going to work. Let me go back to Genesis. All right, Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young, the young man was working with, his, with the sons of Bilah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age, and he made a robe of many colors for him. When his brothers saw their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to even peaceably speak to him. Then Joseph had a dream when he told it to his brothers. They hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. There there we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly my sheaf stood up and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Are you really going to reign over us? His brothers asked him. Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream. And this time, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. He told his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this that you have had? He said, am I and your mother and your brothers really going to come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. We have Joseph, one of Jacob's son, Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham. We have Joseph, one of Jacob's son, his favorite son, by the way, who was hated by his brothers. And you can imagine why. There's a reason we as parents are not supposed to have favorite children. And it's so that we don't create this kind of mess with our children. He's the favorite. He's hated because of it. He gets this special robe, this coat of many colors that we've probably heard it described as. Brothers hate it so much so that, that they go to great lengths to try to, to try to not have to deal with this guy anymore. In fact, we see a story kind of unfold in the rest of this chapter. And even as we go into chapter 38, and we see Jacob sends Joseph off to go find his other brothers who are, who are ways away in a different land. And when the brothers see Joseph coming from afar, they start saying, why don't we just kill this dreamer? 
Let's end this guy. Like, I don't want to deal with these dreams anymore. I don't want to see that coat ever again. Don't make me even lay eyes on it again. Let's kill him. One of the brothers, Reuben, he, he's a little bit more level-headed than everybody else and says, ah, but maybe we shouldn't kill him. He is our brother. So they instead beat him, throw him in a pit, take the coat from him. There were some Midianite traders that were, that were coming in the way and they saw them and, and one of the brothers said, oh, I've got a better idea. Why don't we actually get some value out of this? Maybe we shouldn't actually kill him because, we, I mean, he is flesh and blood. Like, we probably shouldn't kill him. We'll just sell him as a slave to Midianite traders. That's much better. His own flesh and blood decide that the best thing that they can do with this dreamer brother of theirs is that they could sell him into slavery. So they sell him into slavery and he's taken to Egypt and he's, he's sold to Potiphar. Potiphar was one of the head guards or head of the guards for Pharaoh himself. And so he is in the middle of Egypt as a Hebrew slave. When in Potiphar's house, we see that it says that God was with Joseph throughout this. And so God's with him and everything that he touches seems to go right. Joseph seems to do the right things and things just flourish under him. So guess what Potiphar does? Anything a good leader does. What, do they start, what does he start doing? He hands him a little more and a little bit more and a little bit more until basically Joseph is second in command in the house and everything that he thinks is good to do, they do. The only person that he actually reports to at this point is Potiphar. And the only thing that is off limits in his house we even see is Potiphar's wife. Imagine that. But Potiphar's wife has other plans. She says, ooh, this is an attractive young man right here. I'm going to try to sleep with this man. And so literally she comes on to Joseph and, and it says it happens day after day after day. And Joseph continues to say, no way. Why would I do this? Potiphar has given me rule over everything in his house except you because you're his wife. Of course, I can't do this. He continues to remain faithful and, and do the right thing. Potiphar's wife is not having it. At one point, Joseph goes into the house and is only Joseph and Potiphar's wife in the house. All of the other servants are outside, we're told. And Potiphar's wife tries this time with a little bit more urgency and grabs onto his cloak. And it says that Joseph ran out of the house, but she literally held onto his cloak so much that it stayed. She then decided to lie to all the other servants and tell this story that Joseph had tried to come on to her and tried to lay with her and that he had ran out because she screamed. She told that story to the other servants and then she told that story to Potiphar when he got home. And as expected, uh, Potiphar as a husband was furious and takes Joseph and throws him into Pharaoh's prison. Now let's just think about what has happened to this point. We have Joseph who I don't know that he should have told the dreams the way he told his dreams to his brothers. I, that sounds like a punk move by a little brother, but um, he's telling the dreams to his brother and his dad. It's not his fault he's the favorite. Sounds like a very youngest child type thing to say, but still. Like, his brothers literally chose to betray him to the point that they would sell him into slavery. He goes to Potiphar's house, does the right thing, and, and gets wrongly accused and, and blamed for something that he had tried to avoid time and time again and done the right thing and gets sold into slavery and goes into 
this jail, the, the, the Pharaoh's prison, where, where the people that Pharaoh decides need to go somewhere, go. And guess what? God was with him still is what we see in the text. So much so that yet again, everything that Joseph touches, everything that he is put in charge of, seems to go right, seems to flourish. And so similar to what we see in Potiphar's house, guess what the warden of the prison does? Continues to hand him things. Until all of a sudden, he is basically in charge of the prison. One of the Hebrew slaves that had been accused of sleeping with Potiphar's wife is now basically in charge of the prison. The only person he really answers to is the warden himself. This, this story is wild. It doesn't make sense. You don't put a prisoner in charge of the prison. But God was with him. And Joseph continued to do things to, 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 to man, be found as trustworthy. Well, we, we see as we get into um, basically chapter 40, we actually see that there were, there, the cupbearer or the former cupbearer for king, for Pharaoh, had been thrown into prison and so had his former baker. And both of them have a dream one night and these dreams are apparently intense enough and, and crazy enough that they, they, they are frustrated by the fact they can't figure out what in the world this dream is about. What does it mean? And they're trying to figure it out and, and the cupbearer shares this dream with Joseph. And basically, the, the cupbearer says, look, there is this vine and there are three branches on the vine and, and I, I take the grapes and I squeeze them out into Pharaoh's cup and hand the cup to Pharaoh. And Joseph, clear as day, says, oh yeah, in three days, the three branches stand for three days and in three days, you're going to be restored. You're going to be put back as cupbearer for Pharaoh himself. Okay, well, that sounds like a great deal here. I like this. I'm not in prison anymore, Right? Hearing that, the baker decides, well, I need to know what my dream's about, okay? So he comes to him, he said, hey, there are these three baskets and they're on my head and they have, they have, they have bread in them and these crows come and they start eating the bread out of the baskets. Well, what does mine mean? He says, well, your head will also be lifted up and off. He says, you're gonna die in three days. The three baskets are three days and you're, you're gonna be put to death in three days. Wild dreams. Intense dreams, obviously, or they don't care uh, enough to ask all these things. But long story short, before the conversation ends, he says to the cupbearer, Joseph says to the cupbearer, he says, look, when these things come true and when you're restored to your position as cupbearer, don't forget me. Please speak kindly about me. I am in prison for something that I didn't do. Get me out of this prison. I don't want to be here any longer. What happens? Three days later, Exactly as Joseph had interpreted, it happens. The cupbearer is restored to his position. The baker is killed. It's crazy. But what does the cupbearer forget? <laughs> he forgets Joseph. Joseph has been put through the ringer. We have seen time and time again, like him try to do the right thing and, and even execute the right thing and Man, he's still having to sit here in prison. It is not until two years later that Pharaoh has dreams in this story that, that are also uh, apparently, apparently are bothering him enough that he feels like, I have got to get interpretation for this dream. And so he starts calling in magicians and, and the wise men of the day saying, hey, I need you to help me understand this dream. This is bothering me. I've got to understand what's going on. I've got to understand why, why, why am I having this dream and, and what is it about and all that. 
So, in Genesis chapter 41, verse 9, I'm going to read. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I remember my faults. Pharaoh was angry with his servants, and he put me and the chief baker in the custody of the captain of the guards. He and I had dreams on the same night. Each dream had its own meaning. Now a young Hebrew, a slave of the captain of the guards, was with us there. We told him our dreams. He interpreted our dreams for us, and each had its own interpretation. It turned out just the way he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. So the cupbearer forgot, but all of a sudden, light bulb went off just at the right time. And he says, oh no, I forgot about Joseph. Pharaoh, I've got the guy for you. All of these wise men, they can't figure it out. I've got the guy for you. I know who can interpret this dream. He's in your prison. <laughs> Pharaoh has sent for all the smartest people that he can come up with, can't get anything out of them. And he says, hey, the guy that you need is actually sitting in prison. Not that far away from me right now. Wild. So what happens? Joseph, uh, I'm sorry, Pharaoh calls for Joseph. Joseph comes in and in chapter 41, verse 37, not verse 37 yet. No, before that, Pharaoh gets Joseph in there and, and, and Pharaoh says, hey, I hear that you can interpret dreams. And Joseph says, no, but my God will reveal the interpretation to you. So Joseph literally goes through these dreams and he tells them, exactly what the interpretation of the dream is. And so I, I'm not getting into the weeds of the dream. Go back and read it. It's very specific. There's a lot of things, but basically Joseph says, hey, here's what's going to happen. There are going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of abundance, where we are going to have more than we need. And it is going to be beautiful and we're going to thrive. It's going to be awesome. But after seven years, we're going to have another seven years of famine. And it's going to be extreme. It's going to be so extreme and so bad that, to be honest with you, we're not even going to remember the seven years of plenty because it's going to be so bad. And so he says, hey, look, here's what you need to do, Pharaoh. You need to prepare now. During the seven years of plenty, you've got to start storing away grain so that we can even survive during the seven years of famine. That's how bad it's going to be. Like, start preparing now. Start taking a fifth of everything and start storing it away so during that seven years, you will have the thing that your people need. Verse 37 of chapter 41. The proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants, and he said to them, can we find anyone like this? A man who has God's spirit in him? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning and wise as you are. You will be over my house, and all my people will obey your commands. Only I as king will be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, See, I am placing you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him with fine linen garments, and placed a gold chain around his neck. He had Joseph ride in his second chariot, and his servants called out before him, Make way. So he placed him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and no one will be able to raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt without your permission. We are talking about a Hebrew slave who has been in the prison. That with one dream interpretation, God has opened the eyes of Pharaoh and has said, this guy is now second in command. A Hebrew slave who had been thrown in prison for sleeping with the wife of his master. That's who we're talking about that Pharaoh just elevated to second in command. 
It doesn't make any sense. And not only did he escalate him to second in command, but he did it at a time where if, if he really believed the interpretation of this dream, we're not just talking about he happens to get to sit as second seat. We're talking about he is going to be in charge of saving all of Egypt. Because if he actually believes the interpretation of this dream, then he believes that literally his entire kingdom is at risk here. And that he has to put someone in these shoes that can execute on a plan at a massive level. And he says, you know who I trust with that more than anybody? A Hebrew slave who's been in prison. God being with Joseph. Does it make sense? It doesn't logically add up. But God was with Joseph. So guess what? Joseph does exactly what he said needed to be done. They had seven years of plenty that started and he begins to store away a fifth of the grain of the land and begins to basically prepare for this seven years of famine. And they do. They have seven years of plenty. Joseph is put in charge. He does what needs to be done, continues on. And just as was interpreted from the dream, just as God gave Joseph the interpretation, after seven years began an extreme famine. One that not only hit just Egypt itself, but also much of the surrounding lands. And so at this point, guess what? The Egyptian people began to have to come to Pharaoh and have to pay for food because they couldn't get any any other way. And guess what? It wasn't just the Egyptians that were coming to Pharaoh for food. All of the surrounding lands were having to come to Pharaoh or having to come stand in front of Joseph himself in order to get the food that they needed. Genesis chapter 42, picking up in verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at each other? Listen, he went on. I've heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us that we will live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send uh, Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers for he thought something might happen to him. The sons of Israel were among those who came to buy grain for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Joseph was in charge of the country. He sold grain to all its people. His brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan to buy food, they replied. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered his dream about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the weakness of the land. No, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food, they said. We are all sons of one man. We are honest. Your servants are not spies. No, he said. You have come to see the weakness of the land. But they replied, we, your servants, were 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and, and, and one is no longer living. Joseph goes on to continue to, to give them a hard time. He throws them in prison. And then he finally comes up with this test, with this, uh, man, trick of sorts where he says, you're going to leave one brother here and you can go back. But when you go back, you have to bring your brother back to me. Otherwise, you never get this brother back. And if you want any more grain, you better bring that younger brother with you. And so the brothers having no other options because they don't have food, so they have to go back. And they're going to have to come back again because this famine doesn't stop. They go back and they tell Jacob and Jacob is distraught. He has already lost his favorite son and now they're asking for his, what seems like 
next favorite son. And he is distraught. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't want to send them. Chapter 43, verse 11. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your packs and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balsam and a little honey, aromatic gum and resin, pistachios and almonds. Take twice as much silver with you. Return the silver that was returned to you in the top of your bags. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back at once to the man. May God Almighty cause the man to be merciful to you so that he will release your older brother, your other brother and Benjamin to you. As for me, if I am deprived of my sons, then I am deprived. Jacob feels completely hopeless. He knows that he's desperate for help from somebody that why would he ever give him help? He's just a Hebrew. The next part, they go back, they take the younger son. When they arrive, it is very interesting because instead of being sent with everybody else, they get sent straight to Joseph's house, which is odd. Why do you get to go to Joseph's house? When they get there, we pick up in verse 27. He asked if they were well and said, how is your elderly father that you told me about? Is he still alive? They answered, your servant, our father is well. He is still alive. And they knelt low and paid homage to him. When he looked up and saw his brother, Benjamin, his mother's son, he asked, is, is this your youngest brother that you told me about? Then he said, may God be gracious to you, my son. Joseph hurried out because he was overcome with emotion for his brother and he was about to weep. He went into an inner room and wept there. Then he washed his face, came out, Regaining his composure, he said, serve the meal. They served him by himself, his brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who were eating with him by themselves. Because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews since that is detestable to them. They were seated before him in order by age, from the firstborn to the youngest. The men looked at each other in astonishment. Portions were served to them from Joseph's table and Benjamin's portion was five times larger than any of theirs. They drank and became drunk with Joseph. I want us to point one thing out here. I want us to think about what we've already seen, but also what's made clear to us right here. The Egyptians would not even sit at the same table as the Hebrews. They despised the Hebrews. They didn't want anything to do with them. But yet, Pharaoh had taken a Hebrew slave who was in prison and put him as second in command in charge of all of these Egyptians who also hate him. Again, this story is wild what God has done in the heart of Pharaoh, in the heart of Joseph, in the heart of these brothers. So Joseph does one more trick. He says, okay, here's what's gonna happen. Send them out. But before you send them out, I want you to sneak this cup into Benjamin's bag. Put it in his bag. So they do it. He sends them on their way. And then he, he, he goes and he says, go stop them and tell them to come back. And when they come back, he accuses them. He says, one of you stole my cup. And, and, and immediately the brothers are like, no, 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 we didn't. No, we didn't. Why would we do that? We're just so thankful that you, you gave us what we needed. And, and, and we're taking our brothers back home to be with our father Jacob. We're thankful for everything. We didn't do that. And Joseph says, no, no, no. One of you did. Here's what I'll do. The one that stole it can stay with me and is going to pay. Everybody else can return. Searches. Sure enough, Benjamin, the second favorite son. The cup is there where Joseph had placed it. So the brothers are distraught because they know they can't go back to Jacob and tell him that they've lost this other son. 
And so they begin to plead, plead with Joseph, begging him, no, you don't understand. This will literally kill our father. We can't go back again and have to tell him that he's lost another son, especially not that son. Trade with me. Let me stay, not him. Please. Finally, Joseph can't handle it any longer and reveals his identity to his brothers. Chapter 45, verse 9. Return quickly to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me without delay. You can settle in the land of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and all you have, there I will sustain you. For there will be five more years of famine. Otherwise, you, your household, and everything you have will become destitute. Look, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin can see that I'm the one speaking to you. Tell my father about all my glory in Egypt and about all you have seen and bring my father here quickly. Then Joseph threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And and Benjamin wept on his shoulder. Joseph kissed each of his brothers as he wept. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. As you can imagine, the brothers are just blown away. They don't even know what to do. They're probably ashamed, but also just they're weeping on one another with all of the different emotions that are going on. But, but Joseph tries to send them on their way, and Pharaoh says, no, no, wait, wait. I want you to send basically a parade with them so that when they get to Jacob, Jacob knows that this is really legit. The brothers go back. They tell Jacob. Jacob is astonished. He can't believe it, but, but he goes, I, I've got to go. My, my son is still alive. I've got to go see him before I die. He goes back. When he gets there, Pharaoh says, here's what's going to happen. You are going to have the choice of the best land, and I want your family to settle here, to flourish here, to have anything that you need here. Because of how much Pharaoh like respected and wanted to give to Joseph. A Hebrew slave who had been in prison. Jo- J- Jacob lived 17 more years. In Genesis chapter, picking up in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the suffering we caused him. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before he died, your father gave a command. Say this to Joseph. Please forgive your brother's transgressions and their sin, the suffering they caused you. Therefore, please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, of your father. Joseph wept when their message came to him. His brothers also came to him, bowed down before him and said, we are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. God had been with Joseph in the middle of all of these things. And he had blessed Joseph in the middle of all of these things. But as you can imagine, when you get beaten and your robe stripped off of you and you get thrown in a pit, I, 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 could, I could get to the point of despair from that, I think. And then I get sold into slavery. I think I could start to question. But guess what? God was with him. In Potiphar's house, he does the right thing, gets wrongly accused, gets thrown in prison. I, I could get pretty tore up about that and worried. If God's really got my back here, God was with him. In prison, for we don't even know how many years, God was with him. 
God gave him this interpretation of Pharaoh's dream and now he has placed it second in command. Look at what God has done in Joseph's life. What you intended for evil, God has turned to good. God had planned it for good. But here's the deal. That's not all. God's work in Joseph's life, the evil that Joseph's brothers intended toward him, God was using that for good for their lives. The very thing that they were trying to literally end the life of one of their brothers, God was going to use that to sustain them, to literally feed their families. Potiphar's wife, the action that she intended for evil against Joseph, God was going to use that to sustain and make way for Potiphar's family to even survive. God is using even the things that they intended for evil to keep the promises that he had made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. He's using these actions of the brothers to like keep the promise that he made all the way back in Genesis chapter three after the fall. God's work in like the, the, the small details of Joseph's life and the fact that he would sustain in the small to paint the big, to like continue on this narrative so that he could continue and, and fulfill the promises and continue to make way and, and, and continue to literally save the lives of the people of Egypt and his people, Jacob's family. Man, we think past even this story. We think about Pharaoh, the next Pharaoh, who would forget what Joseph had done and would forget how much God had done through Joseph. We think about his intention and how he would try to kill off all the Hebrew babies. God would turn and use that for good. We think about the people of Israel who continue to rebel against God and continue to do evil things, even though God continued to do for them miraculous things, God would still turn that and use it for good. We think about King David. We think about the evil things that even King David did. God would find a way to make good even out of that situation. The king who would throw Shadrach and Meshach into the fire, God would turn it for good. We think about King Herod, who when he heard that there was this Messiah that was going to be born and there was this thing that was going on in the sky and there was something big going on in Bethlehem, God would make a way, God would protect. When the Pharisees decided that they wanted to discredit and they wanted to, 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 to just really end Jesus in some kind of way or another. God had it planned for good. Judas spent time, got close with, was, 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 was close to Jesus. One of the 12 was close to the others. The actions, the evil actions that Judas had done against Jesus God would use for the good of all people. God making a way in the small details of Joseph's life and in all of these stories that we get to see painted across all of Scripture, 
but also painting this bigger narrative, literally starting with Genesis, working its way through and making a way so that Jesus could come. He could be betrayed by his brothers and those that he was closest with. He could be falsely accused of things that he didn't do. He could be put in a position of power but would choose to instead lay it down and go to the cross. All for the good of all of humanity. God continues to use actions intended for evil to do good, to carry out this story of redemption. If you are here this morning, I hope and pray that if you're a believer that, that we would be brought to this just place of awe and wonder about the fact that God could and would continue to, on both a micro level, at the individual decision level, somehow care enough to be involved and to literally want to work things out for you and teach you things and, and sustain you and give you hope in the, the smallest of situations. And some way or another, he is also weaving together this story of redemption and cares enough that he would continue to sustain on this people so that we could be image bearers of him and make much of him. If, if you're in the room and you've never trusted in Jesus, uh, here's what I want to tell you. I, I am blown away at the fact that God, creator God, would create, would, would, would breathe life into Adam and Eve knowing full well that they would rebel and sin, would have that people that he created, he breathed life into, he gave the blessing of life to continue to rebel and push against the good things that he has for them. And he would make a way. He would send Jesus. And so if you've never trusted and believed in Jesus, I just want to tell you that there is a God that loves you and literally chose to send Jesus, his son, to die on the cross to atone for the sins that you've committed. And I believe that is the hope of the whole world. I don't believe that we find hope anywhere else. And I'm thankful that all the way back in Genesis 37, Jesus, God chose to continue on this story, continue on the line of Abraham so that there even could be a line of David so that there could be a Jesus. And so I hope and pray that God would move in your heart and that you would trust in that hope this morning. Here in just a minute, um, the band is going to come up and play, and, and they're going to play a song, and we're going to grab communion cups um, as they do. If you are a believer in the room, even if you're not a member with us, we would encourage you to take of the cup this morning, and we get to celebrate God's continued providence for us in our life, and we get to literally take of the bread and take of the cup, celebrating the fact that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was poured out. If you're not a believer in the room, we ask that you don't because when we take this, what we're doing is we're declaring in a physical, tangible way that we believe those things. And so we ask that you abstain just because to drink it would be a lie. But if you're a believer in the room, even if you're not a member, even if you're visiting with us, please come and take. Let's pray. God, thank you for your story of redemption. Thank you for your sovereignty over the small individual details of our lives, the small individual details of 
man, Joseph's life and how you would make ways in things and, 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 and sustain and give hope and light and, and give success even to Joseph in tangible ways so that he could one day be put in a position where he could literally save the people of Egypt and save the, pe- the Israelites of the day, if you will. God, thank you for that continued story that you continue to paint throughout all of the Old Testament and into the New Testament, making the way for Jesus to come. Lord, I pray that we would be brought to a humble place of just gratitude for what you've done. I pray that you would, you would continue to bring us to a humble place where, where we can do nothing but cry out in thankfulness to you for what you have done for us. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name.